the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Acts chapter 23 is interesting. But one of the most uh, interesting things is we find out something about Paul's family. Did you know the Apostle Paul had a sister? Well, he, we, he does. We don't know her name, but he has a sister, and she was in Jerusalem, and her, she, she had a son. So uh, can you imagine this man, young man uh, running around saying, Uncle Paul? And it was the Apostle Paul. That's Well, we want to get to that today. This is Bert and Alex, and this is Exploring the Word. And uh, it's just fun to get into the Word of God. Is it convicting? Yes, it is. Is it one that takes some thinking sometimes? Yes, it is. But at the same time, it is a joy and fun to see. When, when something like this happens and I look at Paul's sister, uh, Alex, it just brings the Bible more alive to me, brother. Well, amen. And and also it's a reminder that these were real people. Yes, they were chosen by God and touched by God to change the world. And, you know, we um, for every apostle that we know about, there were countless others that maybe we won't know till we get to heaven. But God has changed the world, built his church, spread the gospel and saved souls, working in and through ordinary people. And now it's our time. It's it's our hour, if we will, <laughs> to serve the Lord. And, you know, um, that's why, you know, Paul, in, in the book of Acts, when they wanted to worship him, he said no, you know. And John, you know, when uh, John fell down in front of an angel, and the angel said, see thou do it not, I'm a fellow servant. Isn't it something how the most important work in the world, the proclamation of the salvation message, God has entrusted it to earthen vessels like we. And the baton has been handed to our generation. What are we doing with it? Well, we want to look at chapter 23. Paul has been uh, accused, and now he's looked at. He's been uh, uh, thought about scourging, beaten with a whip, and found out he's a Roman citizen, and they find out he needs to do that. But Paul then wants to speak to the Sanhedrin. And uh, because, uh, let me read chapter 22, verse 30. Uh, yeah, and then it'll bring us into chapter uh, 23 better a little bit, Alex. Mm-hmm. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him. This is the, the uh, commander that had, had, had arrested him from his bonds and commanded the chief priest and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, chapter 23, verse 1, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience unto God to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth. Now, I want to stop there. Uh, Paul takes some, man, he takes some beatings, and we, we know yeah, that. Yeah. But here, it's two times. The Roman uh, commander wanted to scourge him, and it was unlawful to scourge a Roman citizen without cause. And now... The high priest commands that he be stricken, strike in the mouth again. Guess what? Without cause, Alex. Mm. Uh, listen, if this were all brought up for review by judges, these people would be in trouble. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Th this is a, an assault. I mean, really. He says, I've lived in good conscience in verse 1. I mean, he has lived a circumspect life, at least as a, as a, a zealous Jewish person. But he, he had preached many times. He realized that he couldn't win salvation by works. He's become a follower of Jesus and a believer in the Savior. All right. Ananias commands those to strike him in the mouth, smite him. And this is, I mean, this is brutal. Beat him. Paul says unto him, God will smite you. Now, this is very hard language. You whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me after the law and yet command me to be punched in the face contrary to the law. I mean, really. So the word whitewash there really means plastered over. And there's a lot of illustrations about this. I won't go into all of them. But let me say, underneath the veneer of religiosity was sin and really rage and anger. And he says, God's going to smite you because you ostensibly uh, represent the law, and yet you're violating it. You're not upholding it or living by it. You're... you're transgressing against it. And everybody says in verse 4, are you going to revile God's high priest? Um, so Paul, I mean, let me say this. I think Paul was a, was a very masculine, strong man's man. He was no wimp. He's suffering for Christ, but uh, he knows his rights. He knows God's law, and he's not afraid to stand up for himself. He is not. Now, when he perceived that he did not know this was the high priest, and he quotes, you shall not speak evil of ruler of your people. Uh, mm -hmm. When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he decided to do something, Alex. Guess what he does? Bring up the resurrection of Amen. all things for him to do. Now, why would he bring up the resurrection when the Sanhedrin is gathered there to hear him, to condemn him, but he mm -hmm. sees part of them are Sadducees and part of them are Pharisees, why would he bring up the resurrection? Well, the resurrection is something. For one thing, the Pharisees rejected that Jesus was the Messiah, even though he did rise. The Sadducees denied the resurrection or the spiritual life. They were materialist. But Paul was wise. He was a tactician. He knew that this would divide them, didn't he? He did. And this is purposeful doing this, dividing. Uh, and, and he lets them, and they begin to argue over their belief rather than looking and listening to the Apostle Paul. And so Paul had – now, he, let me try to set this up, and you take it from there, Alex, but Paul's intention was was – not necessarily that the Sanhedrin would respond. His, he had intentions of sharing the gospel further on. If you remember, he wanted to return to Rome. And at this point in time, you remember what they had said, Agabus and others? If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. Death is waiting on you there. And the Sanhedrin had the power to suggest to the Roman government the way they did with Jesus. And so... Paul takes advantage of that. Here he does it again. He does it again. He takes care. He takes advantage of his Roman citizenship. He takes advantage of his knowledge of the law, and he takes advantage of his observation of this division that that was real in the Sanhedrin. And in each case, it's an advantage to him 
for the perpetuation of the gospel, isn't it? Well, it really is. And uh, hey, you know what's interesting? That there's a lot of uh, squabbling going on here. I want to read this. Uh, there aro- in verse 9, there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, do you, do you remember the Gamaliel principle that, uh, you know, Gamaliel says, Hey, um, you might be opposing God, so let's not, let's not stand against God. Uh, these people, because maybe, and this was all the way back in, um, I think it was Acts chapter 5, wasn't it? Um, but it, it was earlier, and the scribes are saying like that, look, there's nothing, Paul hasn't really broken the law, I know you disagree with his message, but look, let's not uh, fight against him, because hey, maybe he really has heard from God. And now, I mean, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, neither one, like the scribes, even though the scribes were on the side of the Pharisees. But at verse 10 says, There arose a great dissension, fearing lest Paul should have pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down, take him by force from among them, and bring him into the castle. Well, very quickly, Paul is going to see that the Lord is with him, and he's not been abandoned. And do you know, this might have been painful and probably even a bit frightening, But God uses Paul to give them the message, and as Greg Kokel says, put a stone in their shoe, you know, to make them think about it. (laughs) Amen. Um, That's beautiful. Alex, I've got to look at it. Jesus comes to Paul to, to affirm him, to encourage him at strategic times. But listen how he does it. Be of good cheer. Let me see. That is a very common greeting of the Lord Jesus. Be of good cheer. In the upper room, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. And here, Paul, you've testified for me in Jerusalem. Guess what? You're going to bear witness to me in Rome. This has been your desire. You've wanted to go to Rome. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you there. It's not going to be the same way. You're not have to, you're not going to have to go to Antioch and uh, they're giving you money and giving somebody to travel with you. I'm going to get you to Rome. Now, Alex, God sometimes responds differently than we think he will and different than he has other times in our lives to get us where he wants to be, wants us to be and that we want to be. Uh, but God is operating here, isn't he? Mm-hmm. God is at work, and he always is. And in spite of all the, the noise of man, you know, the Bible says that the, even the wrath of man will praise him. You know, God's big enough to take even the, the unbelief and the disobedience that man might have meant for evil, God's able to use it. Listen, the world, and I'm concerned, Bert, I'm a news junkie. I, I watch the news. I'm concerned about things. I'm very concerned for America. But look, the, the wrath of man is never going to overthrow the purposes of a holy, merciful God. And so, you know, Paul sees that. He's under arrest. Uh, the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so must you bear witness also at Rome. I think that's a, Acts twenty three eleven, a good reminder for us, in spite of the upheaval, and the, the 
darkness of the moment, God is in control. And we see that throughout the book of Acts, don't we? We do, continually. Notice what it says, and when it was day, night times is always difficult. Listen, uh, those of us who've had children sick at night and you sit up, they've got fever, uh, maybe in the hospital, not in the hospital, but there's something about joy coming in the morning. And so mm-hmm. when it was day, some of the Jews banded together, bound themselves under an oath, saying what to, they would to kill Paul. To kill Paul. And but yet Paul had gotten this message at night so that he was ready for what was going to happen. Now while they are operating to to kill Paul, forty men took conspiracy. They came to the chief priest and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under great oath. You go and call him there, and when they bring him, we're going to jump him, and we're going to kill him. We're going to take care of business. You're not going to have to worry about him. Uh, We're going to skip all the legalities. We're going to take the law into our hands. And and that was their idea. Verse uh, 15, now you, therefore, together with the council, suggested the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him but we're ready to kill him before he comes near. Mm. Now, Alex, uh, we have seen they will cooperate with anybody, those that are killers or anybody, just to get rid of Jesus, and now they want to get rid of Paul, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, can you imagine that to make an oath, and that that's your vow, that nobody is going to, to eat or drink, do anything till Paul is dead. Well, we're going to follow up on this and find out what more happens in Acts 23 on this edition of Exploring the Word. So glad you're with us. Stay tuned. We're going to come back after this. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Michael Parrish, Chief Acquisition Officer for the Office of Acquisition, Logistics, and Construction. His office provides policy and oversight and helps support the largest integrated healthcare system in the United States. Proverbs 29.2 reminds us of the qualities of good leadership. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, We ask you to guide Michael Parrish in his work at the Department of Veterans Affairs. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. The summer edition of our National Leadership Prayer Journal is available now. To get your copy, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says a strong knowledge of Scripture can add a lot to your Christian life unless that's all there is to your Christian life. So what more does God want? We'll find out today as we spend two minutes with Tony. How many folks here have been on a blind date? More people than raised their hand been on a blind date because you're on Match.com. <laughs> and then some of you try to make it spiritual, ChristianMatch.com. You, you just... Here you have a profile. That profile gives you a written description of the person. This is the color of my eyes. This is what I look like. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And you get a profile to see whether this is something you want to investigate further. Don't marry somebody based on a profile. Because what is written and what you find out when you hit face to face may not be the same thing. They could be lying through their teeth. They could be deceptive. You don't know. Because all you got is a written profile. 
So what you want is more than information. You want a face-to-face -face experience. What God is inviting you to is that. He says, I want you to read about me in my word up front. I want you to do it first, but then I don't want you to be satisfied simply with what the Bible says. I want what the Bible says to cause you to pursue a relationship with me. And if you will pursue a relationship with me based on what the Bible says, you will discover I am what my profile declared me to be. And you will experience heaven open and you will see God face to face for yourself. He wants to bring you into an experience with him. If you'd like to learn more about what a personal relationship with God is all about, visit us at TonyEvans.org and click on the word Jesus at the top of the page. And be sure to join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Just give me Jesus. Well, we know from verse 16 that Paul has a sister and a nephew, and we're going to learn more in Acts 23. Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here with Bert Harper, and we're just honored that you're listening. We will, in a few minutes, get to Bible questions. And here's the telephone number. Uh, jot it down if you can. It's 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Just so honored that... Uh, People call in with Bible questions, and let me just say also thanks for your prayers and support that enable us to share the Word of God with people throughout America and really internationally every single day of the week. We appreciate y'all very much. Bert, uh, if you knew 40 people had taken an oath to see you dead, uh, would that worry you? Uh, I'm afraid the answer would be yes, and yeah, uh, yeah. listen. But God, let me, I thought of this, you know, uh, there, you know, I always heard, you know, Satan has his people in, in churches to cause disruption. God has his people at strategic places in order to contradict and do what God will contradict their plans and to bring about his plan. So here's this young man at the right place at the right time. And Alex, yeah. uh, he knows what to do. That's the good thing. He, there's a lot of people, they have information, but what do I do with it? Where do I go? And here we see God intervening in such a way, and we're introduced to this part of Saul's life. I, so when he came to Jerusalem, he had some family there. I, I, mm -hmm. I just found that, uh, I, it just, like you said, it makes it, these people real, you know? Yeah, and, uh, and who who this nephew was and his sister and, and all of this says that Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait. He went and entered into the castle and told Paul, only God, only God could have orchestrated this. And so, listen, if you're living for the Lord, serving the Lord, uh, don't underestimate the importance of where you are and what God has you doing because, uh, you know, in time, isn't it this way, Bert? Uh, it, be patient. And God's plans and purposes, what, eventually you're going to see the wisdom of what God is up to. 
And uh, Satan's schemes and man's sin will never overthrow the plans of God. Just be patient. But Paul finds out. So Paul calls to one of the centurions, and he says, Bring this young man under the chief captain, for he has something to tell you. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me unto him and prayed, or in other words, asked me to bring this young man unto you who has something to say. Chief captain takes him by the hand and pulls him aside and says, What is it? What are you trying to tell me? Verse 20, very key. And I would say whoever this nephew was, he was a brave young man. He was. He stepped up to the plate. That that lets us know. I think it's time for us to ask the question: Will we step up to the plate when it's our time? Good. Uh, you yeah. know, we we need to be ready, Alex. Uh, you know, God will give us strength. He will help us. You got to be willing. What have you said before? I've heard you say it. Heard others say it. God, it's impossible to steer a, a car that is not moving. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so here, this young man has a heart. He has a heart for his uncle. I I think it have he has heart for the Lord too. That's just reading in that, but uh, he's ready, and I think bravery, his courage, is demonstrated. Well, the the young man says the Jews have agreed to desire that you would bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as though they would inquire something more of him. In other words, hey, go get Paul because we want to interrogate him a little bit, ask some questions. But do not do this. Don't yield to them. For they lie in wait. There are more than 40 men have bound themselves with an oath. And they've said they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed Paul. And now they are ready, looking for a promise from you. In other words, don't play into their hand. I'm giving you a heads up. It's a trap. This is an ambush that's being planned. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him. Don't tell anybody that you've said these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, horsemen and 70 horsemen, spearmen 200, the third hour of the night. Provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe. The very key word, key adjective. Bring him, not dead or alive, no. Bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner. Praise God, uh, Paul is going to be safe, and the Lord has worked through people and circumstances to see to it, hasn't he? He has. Now, let's count these these soldiers, okay? Let's, let's look. 200 soldiers, okay. 70 horsemen, okay. 200 spearmen. If my addition's right, Alex, that's 470 accompanying Paul to Caesarea. They... Mm-hmm. I, I would say he he made sure these 40, he didn't know if the 40 would become 80. He didn't know if the 80 would become 160, but he had this man covered. And uh, can you imagine when they left and they were moving out, what in the world, this big entourage leaving out? Uh, it had to have some attention. You don't have a close to 500 soldiers moving out without some uh, it being noticed there in Jerusalem, Alex. Well, and, and being significant, you yeah. Know? And and so um, there's a letter to protect Paul and to affirm these things. Uh, Claudius Lysias, and I may not be pronouncing that correctly, uh, under the most excellent governor Felix, uh, we send greetings. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed. In other words, verse 27 is Paul. It's speaking about Paul. 
Then I came with an army, rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman citizen. Roman citizen. And when I would have known the cause uh, of which they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law. Now, just like the Sadducees and Pharisees were divided, um, the Romans and the Jews could very often be divided, and you, you hear Roman references to their law. Do you remember when Jesus went through seven unfair trials being bounced around from, you know, the high priest to the Roman authorities? Bert, do you get the implication that, to a degree at least, uh, the Jews and their customs and their law was really, at best, uh, a puzzlement to the Romans, and on a bad day, just a real inconvenience? I... I, I hate to laugh at it, but yes, they'd say, what in the world? What do they mean? Because it was so contradictory. Here it is, their law gave fairness, you know, the Roman to, to a citizen. You know, they wouldn't scourge him without cause. They wouldn't. And, and when Pilate couldn't find anything against Jesus, although he wasn't a Roman citizen, they I didn't, that him didn't no matter. Fault at all. Yeah, here was Paul. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. And yet... You know, uh, they're a puzzlement, but in a bad way, you know? Mm, yeah. Uh, the, what is it? It's the word inconsistent. They twist the law to fit what they want it to do. Yeah. Well, uh, that, that's right. And he's essentially saying, look, I don't know what the charge is, but it surely doesn't seem beating or death. And uh, they're making a vow they're going to see him dead. And so... It was told to me all these things I sent straightway to you, Felix. Now, I have to kind of smile because um, he wants this off of his plate, doesn't he? He does. I, I sent word to you. Gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. The soldiers, as it was commanded, took Paul, brought him by night to Ant Antipatris. On the morrow, they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the castle. So Paul, by God's intervention, is, is rescued. Isn't this something? It is. Now, let me make this. This is an official letter that was written, and Luke has it. Again, the Holy Spirit could have, and I understand that. But if you remember what it says concerning Luke investigated, he, he researched and so I, this document, very detailed, yeah, very consistent. Yeah, this, 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 there no doubt this letter became part of a record. And I think Luke was able to know it and have it. He could have been part of it and he could have read it as he was there, or he could have been in the presence and heard it read, but it's neat how God uses Luke. Let's not take that out of the equation. God uses Luke in his ability to investigate, to research, and define and put together for, so that we can have this narrative given to us by God that we can look at how God operates and how God works to get the power, the, the message of the gospel all the way to Rome. Right now, that's what we're do, dealing with. From, this chap, from those chapters earlier until the end, we're, what we're talking about is getting the gospel through Luke, th through Paul, to Rome, Alex. That is the yes. objective. 
and look how it operates. It's going to go through a shipwreck. It's going to go through trials. It's, it's going to go through hardship, but he gets to Rome. Isn't that great? <laughs> well, it, it is. And, you know, the Bible speaks of God, you know, to will and to do his good pleasure. And, you know, it's been said that the church cherishes every drop of the martyr's blood, but guards every drop of its own. I mean, we love Hebrews 11 and the heroes of the faith, and we love missionary stories and, you know, Lottie Moon who went to China and was willing to starve to death for her orphans. Uh, but we very often guard ourselves against inconvenience or pain or something like that. But let me say this, be willing to even lay down your life and die for the gospel. Be, be so obedient that you would put yourself in harm's way because, first of all, God's going to look after you. But the, the circumstance you're going through, painful as it might be, if you will allow God to have control, you will see what he was doing. What's interesting to me, these details, and, you know, we read back in Acts 21, Paul, originally, Saul had been of Cilicia, Saul of Tarsus of Cilicia. So Felix says, hey, what province are you from? And Paul tells him, Cilicia, I will hear thee then, okay? Right district, I'll, I'll listen to you. And, uh, and when your accusers are come, I'm going to hear them too. And uh, Paul is kept in here as judgment hall. We get into uh, chapter 24, and Ananias the high priest comes to give his accusations. Now, Felix, I think, is, is being fair. At least it seems like it. And look down there in verse 5 of chapter 24. Bert, do you remember when, when Jesus was arrested and, you know, falsely accused, and he's in front of Pilate, and they say, release Barabbas. This Jesus, he stirs the people up. He's a seditionist. He teaches contrary things. In a way, almost doesn't this sound like the false trumped-up things they're trying to accuse Paul of here in Acts 24, oh, 5 man. and following? I couldn't agree more. But notice who else comes with him, Tertullius, a certain orator. In other words, we are going to bring our best pitcher in <laughs> to face this. To you know, if it was the game him. To accuse him. And notice how he begins. It's a bunch of of just stuff that they don't no more believe than anything. They didn't like the Romans being in charge, but they say, we accept in verse 3, always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. Now, hey. Before we go any farther, we, we have to look at verse 2. Okay, Tertullius is, he might be an orator, and he maybe can spin the words together, but, oh my goodness, you've got to understand the historical context here. Tertullius began, is going to accuse Paul, but he prefaces, he says, um, Felix, seeing that we enjoy great quietness, that's not true, and that very worthy deeds are done unto the Jewish people by this pro by thy providence. Look, the Jews hate the Romans. <laughs> they hate the Roman occupation of Jerusalem. And yet, uh, okay, we enjoy great quietness. We've got this peace. No, they don't. And 
we are so grateful for all the worthy deeds that Rome has done for us. Listen, they would overthrow Rome in a blink if they had the chance. But it's almost laughable the way he begins this syrupy speech, isn't it? It is to me. Now, I, again, he says more, but I got to jump down to verse 10. Notice the difference in Paul. Paul's respectful, but it's not syrupy. <laughs> Listen, Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, which is true, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days. Alex, he just says, you're a judge. You've been here 12 years. I recognize that. Now let me tell you what really happened. What a mm. difference this Amen. I mean, if I were listening to that, I think I you know, I think I would recognize this pretense yeah. that Tertullius has. You know? Um uh let, let me tell you something. Paul's right. This man's been a judge. He knows a sales pitch when he <laughs> sees it. That's Paul it. Paul says, Look, I, I'm just gonna lay I'm gonna give it to you straight what really happened. That's exactly right. Hey, hey Alex, what? I think we learned from that. I, I think, you know, we need to be truthful, we need to be honest, and we need to be respectful. But don't don't do what Tertullius does when you're trying to make a point with anybody, someone you're speaking to or whatever. Uh, I just think that's a great um, contrast. Doesn't it say, let your yes be yes and your no be no? It does. Hey, we're going to take questions. Are you going to be ready for it? Let's do it, folks. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Call us on Exploring the Word with a Bible question, and we would be just so grateful to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We're going to take a very, very brief break, and we'll be right back after this live on Exploring the Word. Oh, Lord, please let me make it. Please, Lord. Come on, come on. American Family Association or American Family Radio. I missed the show again. Can't find the time to catch the live shows? No worries. Wait, what? You can listen and download all your favorite shows for free. For free? That's right, for free. Just visit the podcast page on AFR.net. Lord. AFR.net. Outbreaks of hatred and violence against Jews are rising. A chancellor in the Rutgers University system sent an email to the student body saying hatred of Jewish people was wrong. He later apologized because some were offended. People are so confused about right and wrong. Our world would be a better place if we listened to the words of Jesus and loved our neighbor instead of hating people because of their nationality or skin color. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Ji Van Fleet, a Virginia mom who survived Mao Zedong's Cultural Revolution before immigrating to the U.S., warned the Loudoun County School Board and all of America. She said, To me and a lot of Chinese, it is heartbreaking that we escaped communism, and now we experience communism here. The communist regime used the same critical race theory to divide people. The only difference is they used class instead of race. Make no mistake, what we are experiencing now is the application of cultural Marxism to our American context. We would be wise to heed G. Van Fleet's warning. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner. 
or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Luke 4:35, Jesus confronted an unclean spirit who defied his authority. Jesus rebuked the demon and said, be silent. I was recently driving on the congested interstate around Dallas. I looked in the rearview mirror and there was a state trooper. Just for a moment, I thought, what if I just hit the pedal and took it up to 95 miles an hour? Well, I didn't follow through with that thought because it would have been costly to defy the authority driving behind me. Our sin nature wants to defy the authority of Jesus Christ. The good news is Jesus has the power to deliver us from our own defiance when we trust in him. Make the determination to submit today and every day to the authority of Jesus. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We're going to begin our call board today in Indiana. Alex and Bird on Exploring the Word, by the way. The number is 888-589-8840. We'd love to have your Bible question on today's edition of the program. But Tara, uh, am I pronouncing that correctly, Tara, in Indiana? Yes, that's right. Well, good to have you. What's your question? Hi. Um, my 16-year-old son approached me last night. And we were talking about the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve being the first on the earth. And he got into asking me how the earth was then populated um, with just Adam and Eve without it being uh, sinful and incest. I wasn't sure how to answer that. Okay, great question. Alex, uh, let me see. The law comes about a few thousand years later about, uh, you know, your brothers and your sister. Uh, that was not true in the garden, was it? No, and, you know, while it's true that there were, you know, well, Eve was created from Adam's rib, and it, the Bible tells us that Adam knew his wife, and she conceived, and, you know, their sons were Cain and Abel. But in a way, you know, everybody marries a relative. Now, I'm not arguing for incest, obviously, or... Uh, you know, we, we need to uh, not be inbred, but the fact is that all human beings are related. And I just want to say this, just like uh, there, there are, it is said that there are 126 breeds of dogs, and yet within the original canine pair uh, that Noah took on the ark, there was enough genetic material, enough genetic potential that after the flood, 
all these various breeds. They're still dogs, but different breeds. Um, Adam and Eve were two human beings. Cain and Abel were born, and it says other sons and daughters were born to Adam. Well, that's the amazing thing about genetics. The billions of people and all the ethnicities and then the, the traits, skin and hair and height and stature, their different ethnicities have all these physical characteristics that we recognize. Uh, that genetic potentiality was in uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, and that not that something? Even secular uh, biology and genealogists believe the human race as it now exists came from a single male-female pair. Uh, billions of gene combinations, aren't there, Bert? There is, and it is amazing. And then you get to Noah, who had three sons. And again, their characteristics, according to their names and according to the populated areas that would come from them, we find the difference there, the ethnicities. And that is what was happened in, in the gene. The DNA is amazing. And mm -hmm. as it's been discovered and the chain that that takes place, and Tara, he would, your son is, that's a good question. Uh, Cain, uh, you know, would marry a sister. And yet, yes, that was clear and pure at that time. Uh, but at, you know, as time would go along, God would bring about boundaries and limitations. But at that point in time, that boundary did not exist. And so you would have the population of the earth. Thank you, Tara. Uh, going to Virginia, Tim, welcome to Exploring the Word. Tim in Virginia. Hello? Yes, you're on, yes. Tim. Hello? Yes, Hello? can you hear us? Are you, yes, Tim? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah welcome. Yeah. Hi, how you doing? Um, Good. Nice to meet you. Nice talking to you guys. Listen, uh, it's like a, a three-point question, but during the uh, flood with Noah, uh, three questions. Um, was the earth populated like it was now? And then um, when God told um, Noah to save, you know, minister to people in the world was his message able to reach the whole world during that time for people to gather to that, that particular point to get on the ark and that's the end of that now and you know, i just want to listen mm -hmm. to you answer okay great question tim i i, I couldn't help that think of this tim uh, my humor sometimes comes across a three-point question might be better than a three-point sermon sometimes brother so, so you did huh. good hey alex uh, let me see, 100 and years plus that he would have time to build the ark with his sons helping and preaching. Uh, we would call Noah, and and this is not, we would call him a bivocational prophet or preacher, mm -hmm. and he would go out. We don't know exactly how far, but there was one land mass at that time, Tim, so yeah. it would be easier to to get the message to them. And, uh, Alex, I think it would be uh, that they could prepare. They could have built something similar to that if they believed it. Could they not have? That They could have. And it, it's been estimated that from Adam to Noah was about 1,000 years, maybe 1,050 years. But let, let, let's say from Noah, I mean, from Adam to the building of the ark, 
around about 1,100 years, uh, 10 generations. Well, it's been estimated that the world population at that point would have been well over 100 million people, uh, maybe, maybe knocking on the door of 200 million people, uh, a lot of people. And, uh, but yes, in the 120 years he worked on that ark, um, God could have certainly gotten the message to all that wanted it. Um, and yet it was eight souls that were saved in that ark. Um, God could have made a way for everybody to be saved, but people didn't believe. And so uh, that the flood came and judgment fell. But it, of all those people, it says that you know, they were given to evil, they were given to sin, but God made the way of salvation. Well, let's go to Scott in, uh, is it Louisiana or Iowa? Iowa. Iowa. Okay, good. Yeah, I, you know, from where I'm looking, the glare on the computer, it almost looks like L.A., but Iowa. Scott, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. I love your show. My question oh, is, you. when the serpent tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he said, um, I'm paraphrasing, um, if you eat from the tree of life or, or the tree of knowledge, surely you will not die. How did Eve know? How did how could she conceive what die is? Wasn't it? Uh, hadn't there been no disease up to that point and and no death? Oh wow, that's a great question, Scott. Words have meaning whether it's happened or not. You know, uh, I I with all my heart, I believe that is part of the conversation, Scott. As as Moses was would write this, yes, it was accurate, but there there could have been more descriptive language. But death had not occurred because sin had not come. Alex, do you think uh, it was a word picture? Do you think it was just uh, communication with knowing the meaning of the word? Well, the first time the word "die" appears in the Bible is in Genesis two seventeen that God had uh, given the prohibition. He said, you know, do not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, for in the day that you eat thereof, you will die. And the word there, um, you know, speaks of, of death, really even, you know, Im implies the certainty of, of it. So uh, God had warned them, and we don't know the full conversation of everything God had said to him. But when the serpent denied that in Genesis 3, uh, in Genesis 3, 4, you will not surely die. So you've got Genesis 2, 17, the warning from God, just a few verses later, the denial of that by Satan. So I know that she knew about it, but she was about to experience it. It's like, you know, praise God, I, I've never had a broken bone. Uh, I've been very blessed but playing baseball and growing up, even high school and all working on the farm. I've never had a broken bone. So I know about it, but I've never experienced it. Don't want to. So Adam and Eve could have known about it, even though prior to the fall, they had not yet experienced it. Scott, let me add this to, uh, you know, the day you shall eat, you shall surely die. And they said, well, he didn't. He did die spiritually immediately. And then he would die uh, socially, progressively, and we're still dying that way 
it, it will get worse and worse and died physically ultimately. There was death and uh, what a what a price to pay. And uh, but thank you, thank you. Good for that. question. Good question. It was. Where are we going Alabama, to Alabama? Alabama is where we will find Jennifer. Jennifer, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you, and thank you both for all that you do in explaining God's Word. Y'all do a fantastic job, and we appreciate it so much that Bless that you, you have this show and, and explains so well and so easy to understand. Um, my question today has to do with, um, I think it's First Timothy, where it talks about a deacon shall be the husband of one wife. And I just wanted you to um, expound on that as far as how you see that scripture applying to deacon election. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alex, a lot of churches are going through that right now. They're finding a deacon yeah. and different things. Uh, it has the husband. Let me make this statement. And I, we're talking about scholars, biblical uh, Greek scholars. And the interpretation is a one-woman man, both for the deacon and the bishop, the pastor. Uh, Alex, one-woman man. Uh, I Yeah. Go ahead. Well, and, you know, a lot of churches nowadays are having r- trouble because I, I will say this, that in the early 20th century, a lot of churches just copiously desiring to be biblical. And there are a lot of reasons about how this came about. You know, First Timothy 3, 2 talks about a person being above reproach. Okay, that's wonderful. And to be of one wife, the husband, really what that meant was not a polygamist. Now, in American evangelicalism, it's come to be taught as never having been divorced. And there are a lot of churches that right now, they, they don't have deacons. And I even counseled with a man, and his feelings were hurt. He was a deacon for years, faithful, and it was learned that he was divorced. But it was before he knew the Lord, and it was uh, in a scriptural divorce, even though divorce, we don't, you know, it's a sad thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but Anyway, it, it was it was biblical, and it was decades ago, and it was before he was even saved. And so he was asked to not be a deacon anymore, and it really hurt his feelings. Bert, I honestly think that, you know, there's the principle we don't want to make the Bible say less than what it says, but we really ought not make the Bible say more than what it says. And John MacArthur and Norm Geisler, both of whom were ve- are very, very, very conservative, real conservative, but both of whom would agree with what I'm telling you. It doesn't necessarily mean never having been divorced. What it means is not a polygamist, a one-woman man. A one-woman man, and that is the Greek term. I I remember going over this in, in college and looking at it and seeing it, and again, listen, uh, don't make it bigger than it is, but at the same time, it does say that they need to be standards, and those standards are important. If you're in a church that says no, no divorce, I, I wouldn't say, well, if I can't serve as a deacon, I, I don't want to, you know, run and not be that. You can serve without being 
that ordained person, Alex, you can serve. Yeah. Don't uh, even in a church that you've spent your life in, say, okay, if that's the way you feel about it, I disagree. It means a one woman man. You can still serve the Lord. I I believe that with all my heart. Don't uh, don't make the Bible say what it doesn't say, and more than that, it does say. But at the same time, don't put yourself in a position. That if I can't do that, then I'm not going to do anything. That's wrong yeah. as well. Let's uh, go to Tennessee. Chris in Tennessee, welcome to Exploring the Word. We got about 30 Thank seconds, you. Chris. 30 seconds. Okay. I've, my question is, uh, is faith healing relevant today? A church that I have found since I moved to Pickwick is uh, getting into faith healing on Wednesday nights, but not on Sundays, and talking about Kenneth Copeland and some of the other, I believe, false teachers. So I was wanting y'all's take on it, please. Okay, I believe in divine healing. I do. I still believe we ought to pray. James, gather the elders together, anoint them, and pray and watch what God does. But, Alex, uh, you better be careful in that area of one person doing it all. Yeah, and no human can promise to be able to, you know, supernaturally heal somebody. Uh yeah, I believe, like Bert says, we definitely ought to pray, trust God. You know, I, I do believe that God is the healer, and hey, I, I believe in miracles, and I've seen a few. Uh, but whether it's through medical science or whether it's through the divine intervention of God, yeah, we trust God, and we, we call people to come to the church, and we'll anoint them and pray. But we humans can't promise that we could heal. It's no matter how it happens, God is always the healer. Guess what? We trust God. Trust Amen. God. Uh, Philippians 1.20, whether by life or by death, Christ will be glorified in our bodies. That's our desire. That's foremost, more than even healing. Hey, we'll be back mm -hmm. tomorrow with more of the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 24. So tune in tomorrow. Tell someone about exploring the word, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. Jesus.